Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The greatest act of evil of all time was when men tried to forever rid themselves of God by trying to extinguish the light when he came among them by killing the Son of God. That's the greatest act of evil of all time. But think about this. The greatest act of evil of all time has resulted in the greatest amount of good. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 50, verses 20 through 21, in a message titled, Joseph, a Type of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Joseph as a type of Christ. Now, Jesus, maybe you remember this, Jesus said to the Pharisees on one occasion, he said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. So Jesus told them that the scriptures were essentially, ultimately, really all about him. And, of course, the scriptures that he was uh, referring to there would be what we know today as the Old Testament. There's a quotation in Hebrews chapter 10, quoting from Psalm 40. Behold, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. It's a prophetic word speaking of the Messiah But again, what he says is, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I have come to do your will, O God. And the idea of the volume of the book is that he is the primary focus of the book. And so since that is definitely the case, when we study the Old Testament, we have to be conscious of the fact that we're going to see Christ all over the Old Testament. Now, here in Genesis, as we've studied through Genesis, we have seen Christ in several different places here in Genesis. We have seen Christ in the seed of the woman, crushing the head of the serpent. We have seen Christ in the ark where Noah and his family were delivered from the judgment. We've seen Christ in that mysterious person, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness and the king of peace. We've seen Christ in the sacrifice of Isaac, Abraham's only and beloved son. And we see Christ His life foreshadowed in the life and the experiences of Joseph. And so I wanted to just sort of walk through some of the key events in the life of Joseph and show you the parallels between what Joseph experienced and what Jesus would later experience. Remember concerning Joseph, when we're first introduced to 
him in the story there in the 37th chapter of Genesis. Joseph is referred to as the beloved of his father. Remember, Jacob had 10 other sons at the time. Well, Benjamin made it 11. And yet Joseph was his well-beloved. There was something about Joseph that Jacob just, his love for, for Joseph exceeded his love for his other sons, really. Now, of course, we know that Christ is the beloved of the Father. And so we see a parallel there. He is the beloved of the Father. This is my beloved Son, God would say, in whom I am well pleased. Remember, Joseph had these interesting dreams. And the essence of the dreams were that he would one day be exalted over his brethren. Those were the things that got him into trouble. He was already envied by his brothers because of uh, Jacob's love for him. But then when he told them about the dreams where the interpretation of the dream was essentially that they would all bow down to him and that he would be exalted above them, you remember they became very upset at that. But Jesus also, as you know, he spoke to his brethren. He spoke to Israel and he spoke to the high priest about his coming exaltation. You remember when the high priest said, are you the Christ, the son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And from now on, from this point forward, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power coming in glory. So like Joseph, Jesus spoke of his future exaltation as well. Joseph's brothers, as we know, they hated him. Not only did they hate him, they conspired against him. They betrayed him and they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Sound familiar? What happened to Jesus? They hated him without a cause is what he said regarding their attitude toward them. They, they hated him. And we know that they conspired against him. As we read through the Gospels, we find that this is consistently happening. They're, they're plotting, they're scheming, they're, they're looking for some way to trap him in his words. They're conspiring against him. And what happened? Of course, they betrayed him. Now, Judas betrayed him individually, but he was betrayed by Judas to the high priest. But the, the high priest betrayed him, his people, his brethren, they betrayed him to the Romans. They were the ones who brought him ultimately before the Roman authorities because they didn't have the, the power to execute him and they wanted him executed. So they brought him before the Roman governor. And you know that he was sold not for 20 pieces of silver, but for 30 pieces of silver. So you see in these experiences of Joseph, you see a picture of Christ. And then Joseph, as he is sold, you remember what happens to him. He basically becomes a, a slave. 
He becomes a servant in the house of Potiphar, and then through other circumstances that we've looked at, you know, he becomes a prisoner. So he becomes a servant. And so we see with Jesus also. Remember what it says in that great passage in Philippians chapter two. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself. He became of no reputation and he took upon himself the form of a servant, the form of a servant. He came as a servant. Joseph became a servant in the house of Potiphar. Jesus became a servant, the servant of the Lord, but he became a servant to men as well. Joseph was also numbered with the transgressors, but he was innocent. Joseph, we know the story. He wasn't at all guilty of what he had been accused of. He was completely innocent, but yet he was thrown into prison. And there in prison, he was numbered with the transgressors. He was seen as a criminal. And so again, the foreshadowing, the innocent man being reckoned among the transgressors, so Christ, who did no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and yet Jesus, we know, was numbered with the transgressors. And in his crucifixion, you remember there were those two criminals. He was crucified between them be numbered with the transgressors. But one day, he is going to instantly be Lord over everything. He already is. It's just a matter of time before that's going to be manifested worldwide. And so again, we see a parallel there. And then Joseph's authority and glory are publicly acknowledged. What does Pharaoh do once he takes him out of prison and and gives him this position of ruling over Egypt? Then he has him ride in his chariot and he commands that as Joseph goes through the streets of Egypt that all of the subjects are to bow the knee. Interesting. Because that same passage that we were referring to a moment ago, that Philippians passage, you know the one. Because he humbled himself, because he became obedient to the point of death, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So here's Joseph being publicly acknowledged, his authority, his glory, and the people are to bow the knee. And this is a foreshadowing of Christ. That one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we follow along with Joseph, Joseph then becomes the dispenser of food to all of the world. He's the dispenser of bread. He's feeding all of the people of the world. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. 
He who believes in me will never thirst. And here's Joseph. He's dispensing bread to the, to the nations. He's supplying food for all of the people in the region. He's the one who has absolute authority over that. And again, we see a picture of Christ. And Joseph, he really becomes the savior of all of the surrounding nations. He becomes the savior of Egypt and all of those surrounding nations, which, you know, to a large degree would have been most of the world at the time. So he becomes the savior of the world. Again, we see this picture. We see this type of Christ. But now remember, things come back around to the issue with his family and with his brothers. And we find Joseph meeting his brothers again, as we saw in the story. And we see that Joseph had mercy upon them and he forgave them. And we also note that it was the second time that they met Joseph that they came to understand who he was. That is fascinating. And so we see a picture where initially, of course, Israel rejected the Savior that God has sent to them. But the second time, when the Lord comes again, it's then that Israel will finally recognize him. And just as Joseph had mercy upon and forgave his brethren for their sins against him, so Jesus will have mercy upon Israel and he will forgive them for their sins. Because again, it wasn't just that generation that rejected the Messiah. It's been every successive generation of Jews for the most part. And as I said, there's, there's as much hostility today in Israel toward the name of Jesus as there was even back in uh, the, the days of the New Testament, similar to that kind of hostility that Joseph's brothers had toward him. But he had mercy upon them, and he forgave them. I love that passage in Zechariah chapter 12 where it talks there about they shall look upon me. The Lord is speaking. He says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And there will be a great lamentation in that day and and goes through and lists the various families, how they're going to seclude themselves and they're, they're going to mourn. There's going to be this time of deep, Grief and mourning over this long, long rejection of God's deliverer. But then it says that in that day there will be a fountain open in Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And that, of course, would be that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, as the hymn says. Christ will have mercy and he will forgive 
his brethren, and they will recognize him when he comes again. They will recognize him the second time. And then, finally, Joseph saves his brothers from extinction and abundantly provides for their future. He saved them from extinction. They would have perished in the famine had they remained in the land of Canaan. But Joseph brings them to Egypt, as we saw. And not only does he bring them to Egypt, but he abundantly provides for them there. Now, here in chapter 50, verses 20 and 21, we'll close with these verses, but let me read them to you again. Joseph is speaking to his brothers. Remember now in the story, Jacob has died and his brothers are are fearful that Joseph's mercy toward them was really due to Jacob's presence. Now that Jacob has died, they're afraid that Joseph is going to exact vengeance upon them. And so they, they come and they express that fear and that concern. But Joseph said to them in verse 19, do not be afraid. He said, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. To save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. In these words, we hear the voice of Jesus speaking to Israel in the future. And this is really such an amazing word, isn't it? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good to bring about things as they are this day and that many people would be saved. You know, the cross is the ultimate demonstration of this whole idea of things that are intended for evil, but God having the ability to turn them around for good. And in the cross, more than anywhere else, we see that what devils and men intended for evil, because they certainly intended evil against Jesus, didn't they? Satan, of course, thinking he could somehow overthrow the plan of God. It's inconceivable that he could think that, but he did. He thought he could overthrow the plan of God. And those men, as Peter would remind them, he would remind them that all of this transpired, it all happened by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, but you, by wicked hands, you took, you crucified, you slew the Son of God. So the devil meant it for evil, 
and wicked men meant it for evil, but God turned it around for good. And the one thing that was meant and was really the greatest act of evil, you know, if you think of all the evil that's ever been perpetrated in the history of the human race, and boy, there's a lot there, isn't there? But the greatest act of evil of all time was when men tried to forever rid themselves of God by trying to extinguish the light when he came among them by killing the Son of God. That's the greatest act of evil of all time. But think about this. The greatest act of evil of all time has resulted in the greatest amount of good for all eternity. Because God took the very thing that Satan and men designed for evil, and he turned it around for the salvation of mankind. And so, on a personal note, just remember this. If God can take the greatest act of evil of all time and turn it around for the most glorious purpose, he can certainly take those things that happen in our lives those things that happen sometimes simply because we just, you know, we live in a fallen world. Those things that happen because people intend to harm us. Those things that happen because Satan intends us harm. But you know, God is able to take those things too. And he's able to turn those things around. And he is able to use them to bring about a greater glory. It's an amazing thing. To me, it's one of the, the fascinating things about God is that he could take this mess called humanity and life and he can make sense of it and he can bring good out of it and he can bring right out of the most heinous wrongs. He can do that because he's God and he's our God. And he's on our side because we're his people. And so in the cross, we see how God ultimately has the victory. And we, of course, have the victory as well because we're in Christ. And so Joseph, a beautiful picture. As we studied through, I think many of you would agree, just the, the story itself, just from the standpoint of, of just human experience and all of that, you know, a powerful, wonderful story, but then to see that there's also a deeper element to it, and that's the parallels between Joseph and Christ. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There are certain Christian books that we would refer to today as classics, books that have just stood the test of time, and generation after generation of Christians have benefited from them. There is a book that is recently published called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And, you know, many people are already saying that this is a Christian classic. Now, Gentle and Lowly is taken from the passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says of himself 
that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And so this book is looking at Jesus through that lens, and we're going to find out that Jesus is much more gracious, much more patient, much more loving than we ever imagined him to be. So this is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it, especially for anyone who has a tendency to feel like they failed God, they've let him down, or you're not sure about God's love for you. This book is going to, I think, forever give you the right perspective on the heart of Jesus for his children. So check it out, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. You can order the book Gentle and Lowly by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we begin a new series in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.